0: Great afternoon. You are in the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane and today Heather Kilgore is in the Fast Lane with me and we are going to discuss something that sometimes people find taboo. We are going to talk about eating disorders. So, welcome Heather. Thank you. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. So, I'm 66 years old.
1: I struggled with an eating disorder for 18 years, and while you can get like all the behaviors, it's the thinking that takes a long time to change. It can actually take a lifetime, um, and a lot of when coming over a recovery is is getting over the anxiety, which takes a tremendous time, and it makes, and you can't give up on it. You have to continue to to work on it, and that's something that I did. That I did is is I had done rehab and lived in a halfway house and did a lot of um, work and I was tired of it. So I, you know, went back to my regular life and, um, you know, some of my old ways and thinking came until I kind of had a, a, um, something that happened that um, I wasn't, I didn't really know much about self-care and I really began a second recovery of um, my thinking which has been an incredible journey. And I'm so blessed because my life has completely changed.
0: So what, how did your eating disorder start and how old were you?
1: Yeah. So um, it started really, it started this, my senior year in high school and I was competing and I had some things where I really didn't have much control over my life. And I started thinking I wanted to be thin. I was recognized as being thin and I didn't have any control in any other area of my life, so I felt like I wanted to take control. So I really started restricting, and really for my for my freshman year in college, I was really more anorexic, and um, you know really limited what I ate, but was exercising tons, um, was was playing skiing for Division one school, and um, then I found out about um, bulimia. I read an article in Glamour magazine. This was, you know, when I was all of 20, 21, and they talked about this new disease called bulimia. And I thought, oh, what a great way to stay skinny. And I tried it. And 18 years later, I was still doing it. Um, And it, you know, it was covering up a lot of other stuff that I really needed to deal with that I didn't know I needed to deal with. So, um, and it became a very secret. It was very secret.
0: So no one Um, knew this was going on? My family
1: did, but they weren't really supportive. They thought, you know, it was me. And um, we tried family counseling, but, you know, I actually, when I was 36, I went into rehab and they said to me, I had about a 10% chance of recovery because of the amount of time, the length of time I'd been bulimic. And then I couldn't do it before my mom died because of the role I played in my family. So her, her dying was a very instrumental. Um, and I thought I would go to rehab for two and a half months or two months or one month. I didn't know how long it would take. I thought I'd be done. I know I had no idea what was recovery was all about. Needless to say, it was quite a journey.
0: So if you went from, you went from 18 to about 36 with this. Yes. So in that time, did you get married and have kids and that stuff? No, I never
1: got married. I lived over in Europe, um, for two and a half years, um, I worked. Um, I lived in New York. Um, I was doing modeling, so I was, you know, it, right in the culture. Um, I was doing modeling for for quite a long time. And when I was in Europe, um, I also worked full time. And um, I, but I but I knew something was wrong, even though I didn't was too scared to deal with it and didn't know really what to do. I knew something was wrong. And um I knew in my mind that I really couldn't get married um because because of it, which other people do, but I but I realized I would bring in a problem. So that much I I I knew. Um, but um, you know, I think I pushed that down and you know, tried to be in relationships, but you know, you can't really have a relationship if you're if you have something secret that you're not sharing with someone. So I'm I'm actually very blessed that I didn't get married at the time. um, and that I um, And then I, you know, it took me a long time. It was really, it was really around not loving myself. And what you find is is that if you don't love yourself, you're not going to be in a relationship where someone loves you. It comes first loving yourself. And um, I couldn't admit that to myself. I really couldn't admit that I had a problem. And I couldn't really admit that I didn't love myself because I didn't think there was anything worthwhile underneath.
0: Oh. So when... When you said that you were in modeling and you were kind of in that culture, were was it kind of a silent thing that you all did together? No, no, no.
1: I, once again, was completely, didn't share it with anybody. Really? Um, was completely private. My parents knew. And, and as I said, we tried to go into some family counseling. Um, but our family dynamics were such that I don't, I really, I, I my first recovery is when my mother died. And then my second recovery, which was, the, was really the emotional recovery and where I went in and said, my life's not working, I'm not sure why, but I think I'm part of the problem is my dad died. And I think that's when I really realized, oh, I can really be who I wanna be. I can, I can um, I, I'm can. i not, I don't have the to two, you know, he had a lot of control over my life or I gave him a lot of control. And um, I realized that now I could explore what I wanted to do. And
0: who I wanted to be and it was safe so when you was this did this become an obsession for you then did it, you when, when you say obsession meaning with the eating disorder or with yes with the eating disorder
1: so the eating disorder does become an obsession you know is as you wake up every morning and say oh, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna do this and um I'm going to be fine. So I would kind of like, you know, nails on the um, on the chalkboard would manage to a certain time of day, and then I would start going to like, start eating. And then when I was done with work, I would go to the grocery store, and I would start eating, and I'd either be walking on my way home from work, or I'd be in my car. And I would binge. I mean, I would binge, (laughs) you know, and and, um, then I would throw it up and I, everything would be back in order and everything would be fine. Wow.
0: Yeah. So really... what is recovery like for this? What were the, the so first. Recovery
1: steps? is interesting is, so I went into a, went to rehab, which I think was uh, I needed to break a cycle. I had been seeing a counselor but wasn't able to break through anything and I um so I made that decision and I I told my dad and he looked at me and he said oh you're still struggling with that so he, he he didn't even know what was going on and um uh so I went to recovery and I remember you know the first time someone prayed with me and I was like wow this is really you know this was attention on me And um, so it really was in the beginning, there was tremendous anxiety. This was my coping mechanism. I didn't really have any other coping skills. And um, so there was a lot of anxiety that went with it. And I think even, and I I went home, decided that the best thing I could do was quit my job. And I found a community that I could, um, where a halfway house was. And I lived in a halfway house for two and a half years. And there were other women that were, had eating disorders and um, you know I had I had a false sense of security because we had a ready set um, support group there. I had counseling there and I was required to go to OA or, um, or AA um, not that I was an alcoholic, but that was a similar program mm-hmm. and um, you know we had and then we had uh, monthly or, or bi-weekly um, house meetings. So, you know, I thought I was doing really, really well. And when I, when I was, uh, when it was time to leave, I, you know, didn't have a care, care, care um, program set up. And I kind of felt like I've been doing this for a long time. I'm going to see if I can do it on my own. And I went back to work for, for in cosmetic marketing and was very, um, got back, got into workaholism. And that was kind of working through and breaking through that. But um, really what I didn't continue to look at and explore was this self-doubt and this, this lack of self-esteem, which really haunted me and a sense of shame. So even though I you know became healthier, so I left a job that where I was workaholic. I, I went to another job. I started getting involved back in things that I'd done. Um, so I got back involved in sports and I got back involved in ski racing and... And, um, you know, got very focused on that. So I was still focused on performance. And, um, you know, I, I went to grad school got my MBA, and um, was fortunate that I was able to spend time with my dad because he had Alzheimer's. But you know, there was always something there was always a sense of shame that um, I couldn't let go of. And so I Took a, my dad died. The week he died, I, I accepted a job in another state. So um, I started a new job. I moved. I worked for a woman that was a workaholic in a, in a, in a company that was a, was a really bad fit for me. So it, wasn't a, it, was, it, was a, it was a mistake all the way around. Broke up with my live, in, live up boyfriend. And I had a settling, um, an awful contentious settling of a family generation skipping trust that took four years. And by the end of it, I was just like, I left my job and said, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore and ended up in a therapist's office. And as I said, I just said, my life's not working. I'm not sure why, but I think I'm part of the problem. And I think that's when I was willing to say, I'll do what it takes. And I think that's when I was willing to look at my, my role in it. And I started understanding about limiting beliefs and I, found a church community that I just really love and, and had a philosophy of we are what we think we can change our life through our thinking mm-hmm. and um, taught me a new way of thinking but I was surrounded by support. so I had um, I was seeing other people I would take classes and I would see there are other people that everybody struggled from a lot of the same things I struggled from I just didn't share it and um, and then I found coaching um, life coaching. And I found these words such as limiting beliefs, or we have assumptions or um, gremlins, which are fears. Mm-hmm. And I started having language for these things and um, it all worked in unison. And um, my life is great now. It's, um, I continue the work. I have a wonderfully supportive community, which I didn't know how to create before. I started telling people about what was going on with me. And instead of being a victim, I, I found that I could empower myself. Um, and that there are tools out there that could help me, which I never knew that. And I'm like, wow, you know, there are things that I can actually find with things that I'm not strong at that will actually help support me. And I remember um, the other thing that happened is, is I started reaching out to friends and and telling, you know, I had some other things that struggled after I left my job. So I had to ask people for help. Um, Like I I needed car rides or things like that. And I was very aware that God was giving me a gift, that I needed to learn to ask for help, um, that I needed to be vulnerable. And um, so I started and started reaching out to people and would be sharing some things. And I realized that by sharing, when I wanted to isolate and not share something, and I shared with someone, that's when I would have the the greatest growth, because the ability to be sharing and vulnerable is when people can really get to know you. So I have prayer partners who, um, you know, we basically do, um, you know, bring bring God into it, but we also share our day-to-day struggles. And I'm coaching women that have had eating that have eating disorders. I am, um, yeah, I'm in a, in a wonderful relationship. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I feel like I got a second lease on life, a second chance and a second opportunity. Um, my, li- my, my thinking used to be very negative and sort of catastrophic and very um, per- perfectionist oriented. And I've changed all that. Um, I've gone from very linear thinking to more expansive thinking. And it's been a combination of reaching out to people, sharing, taking responsibility for my life, and also putting God at the center. That there's there that I have a partner with me, that I'm not alone. And I think that probably has. And I and what I did is I did affirmations every day, and I slowly started getting stronger and stronger affirmations. And then I started doing meditation, and then I started doing um, reading spiritual pa- passages. And what they did is, is they planted the seeds for being able to change my thinking, and um, they helped heal. They they it 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 changes literally changes the way that you think. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of you know thinking, oh my God, something's horrible, or focusing on what was going wrong, I started focusing on what was going right in my life. And I started to feel gratitude for all the things that I had. And, um, I have a, and I, I, I'm part of a community that is very supportive. And um, it was, it, it, it's created a whole new way of living for me. Um, you know, all the, all the things, everything was, was there. The pieces were there. I just didn't know how to pull them together and um you know i think when we share our story with other people it gives other people an opportunity to share their story Mm -hmm. and you know and what i learned is which i didn't know before is is that people you can have sounding boards you can be sounding board to someone else or they can be a sounding board to you and you can say hey i'm struggling with something i'm not sure you know what's going on can we take a look at it and um you know, by by putting it out on the table and breaking it apart, you can usually find solutions. And I started to believe that there are solutions instead of that um, I, I didn't, I I couldn't do it, or that I would fail. Um, you know, so now when I'm going to go into a social situation which could be very anxiety-ridden for me, I say God goes before me. God goes way and makes the way easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I only have to ask questions you know, really be interested in, in where you're going and the people. And so now I get excited about it and um, you know, it's so much more exciting and fun learning about other people um, and learning about their journey and then being able to share some of yours and realize that very often there's a lot of commonality. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. I'm blessed. I have a good life and it's it's um, there's been a believe me, there's been a lot of work and there's been a lot of times where I didn't think I was gonna make it, you know, where I really thought, oh my God, this is just too much. Mm-hmm. And what I found is, is the dark night of the soul is very often when you're about to have a breakthrough, when you're about to realize something and have an awareness around something. And it's been too scary to look at it all along, and then all of a sudden you 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 you're like, Oh. I understand now and it's, it's, it's continuing to uncover and it's continuing to, to go in and face and say, you know, these, uh, you know, I ended up in a therapist's office that I, for the first time, I think I was really able to be honest and he was very, um, non-threatening and very like, if I didn't feel well or didn't come to a meeting, I didn't come see it, you know, I had to cancel it say, I'm so glad you're taking care of yourself and you're doing exactly what's needed. And we started on a journey. And, um, it's been an incredible journey. So I empowered myself
0: and I think how you go to therapy still today for this.
1: I do. Um, you know, and sometimes we don't, we don't see each other very often And at other times when, if I'm, you know, if I'm working through something, because what you find is, is it's really having support in your life and that you may, um, deal with something in one area of your life, but you may not, um you find it that another area of your life and he's really just really become a really good friend and he's a really good sounding board and he knows my story and we can cut through the crap pretty quickly. And, um, you know, and we can celebrate, you know, we can celebrate all the you know, where I've come. So it's, it's really like having a, having a family member or a parent that, um, that, that you can, you can, you can go on a journey with and, um, partner with.
0: Do you did you, along the way? Did you have any health issues? Was there, or or do you now any effects from the past? Well, so
1: that's interesting. Is so? No, I didn't. I <laughs> I got in some accidents, so I had some major surgeries. Um, I was a skier, and I had some some ski accidents, um, um, and then I had a, a, a um, but. As far as health, my health has been good. My teeth, I had some issues with. So I've had a lot of implants. Um, I still, you know, when I feel emotions, I feel it in my stomach. So I have, you know, some digestive, but I don't have otherwise health issues. No, I'm fine. I'm really, really, really lucky because um, it could have killed me.
0: Yeah. And was there certain foods that you ate then that... Were your favorites and certain foods that you can't eat now because of that? You have any emotions attached to food? So that's 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 also really interesting. So yes, for a long time I was very rigid,
1: and I, you know, there's 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 one thing that I always ate, and it was um, Eskimo pies, or um, it was ice cream with cho- chocolate covered ice cream. Because I knew if I if I ate it, it was very soothing. But I also knew that it would help me purge what I was what I was binging on. So I so I so I have eaten them. Um, but what I've learned is um, that uh, you know I, I've broken away from. I allow myself to eat. I eat very healthy. Um, it feels good to eat healthy. Um, I moved in with my boyfriend, and I found that I had. What I had difficulty was learning to eat three meals a day, and um, you know having a normal meat lunch and a normal dinner. And um, so I've gained weight, and now I'm now I'm now I'm finding that I'm really regulating, and I'm finding that I'm just not as hungry. That I'm going back to things that I like. So last night I had a piece of cake. It was wonderful. Um, you know, periodically I have ice cream, but I don't have them on a regular basis. We have food in the house. Um, we'll have chocolates. We'll have cookies. Um, that was, you know, a little daunting for in the beginning, but, you know, I found that I've, that I'm, that I, that I, when I'm, when I'm eating now, it's kind of like, hmm, have I had enough? And, you know, do I feel, do I feel full? And, um, you know, so it's kind of self-regulated itself.
0: When you speak with people who are dealing with this issue right now, I assume it, that you are really good at this, at, at relating to them. Yeah. What what do you find the most difficult about coaching and trying to help people through this?
1: The most difficult is, um, is how slow the process is. It's an unraveling, it's a breaking through beliefs. And oftentimes they can't it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a leap of faith oftentimes, um, believing that you, that you don't necessarily know what's best for you, that others have been through it before. So trusting and trusting that the process through will get you there. Um, and it's, you know, one of the things that I had was also, I, you know, it was, it was, you said eating, it was obsessive, it was ruminating. And um, it was breaking through the obsessive thinking. And the other thing that's really difficult is breaking through the negative thinking. I had a very, very poor self-talk. It was very negative. And I realized years into this that it was my father's voice. That is, you have to do this, or this is the, you must do this. And I literally realized it was father, my father in my head. And I was, you know, every time I'd write something, I need to do this. Or I, you know, I have, and I realized, and what I learned, and this is something through Louise Hay, is, is that you can, it's a choice. I can choose to do this. And um, when I realized I had an option, I um, started, you know, being aware of it and started saying, I have a choice to do this. And. Um, then I started the negative self-talk. I, threw the affirmations, I started to say, you know, I love myself and I can do this and um, there are possibilities and it, it's one step at a time. And, um, you know, I had one woman I worked with and it was heartbreaking because she used to be an athlete and she was anorexic and then spent a year and a half in rehabs and I coached her and I coached her for about a year and she'd make very tiny steps. She went from eating 300 calories to 1200 calories a day but wouldn't wouldn't change and and her therapist and her and her nutritionist felt she needed to be in rehab. And I was devastated because I felt like we had made, you know, having me, having gone through the journey, I know how slow it can be, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she had some limiting beliefs and some things that she just couldn't let go of. And, you know, we're still in touch. She's doing much better, but now she's put her recovery as a priority. And, um, you know, but there's something inside of us that, you know, when I went into, to rehab. I heard this little voice inside of me that knew that I could do this belief. And now I know it was my God voice. And it, um, you know, is when I've had my hardest times, you know, when I've said, I can't go through this, there's always been something in me that. Give it another night, give it another day. It'll be okay. And, um, but it's definitely been, and it's been giving up, you know, perfectionist thinking I've, I, you know, still come up around, up around that. And, you know, it's, it's, I have to, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm being very perfectionist. And I get very, you know, like I get very linear in my thinking and I can't see options. And once I realize it, then I can go, oh, I just, I was just triggered. And, you know, then I can share it with the person and say, you know, I apologize. And this is what was going on. And very often they say, oh, this is what was going on with me. And, you know, it's, it's. It's being able to own your feelings and saying, you know, sometimes I'm really good at this and sometimes things come up on me and bite bite me in the butt, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to do it perfectly. I can learn from each moment and it's making sure that you have a support network, that you learn how to build a support network. And um, I am, you know, I reached out, spoke to my friends one day and I said, how would you like to be prayer partners? Uh And they said, and they said, yeah, and we did it for 90 days and we had a a format that we use and we still, there's a format that we use, but we've been through so much with each other of, you know, supporting the ups and the downs. And, um, you know, sometimes some of them don't feel like they can get on it And, and, you know, it's just being supportive and saying, okay, you're doing what you need to do. And, you know, eventually they've come back, but it's, it's like having, it's having the family that I never had. It's the family of, you know, it's, I, I never knew how to walk beside people and um, just be there for them. And, you know, when people are going through a hard time, they need a sounding board and they, you know, they need encouragement, you know, like, oh, that's understandable. Or gee, that sounds like it was tough. And then it's being able to say, well, you know, what do you want to do about it? You know, let's look at our different options. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes you're working in front, sometimes you're walking behind and, um, but it's being there and being supportive and not, and be and providing a safe space that's non-judgmental. That's the biggest one is being non-judgmental with yourself and with others. And I often catch myself being judgmental and I'm like, wait a second, you know, what's going on here? What's going on with myself? Mm -hmm. You know, why am I feeling challenged by this? Because someone does something it's it's your own inner voice that and when you're judgmental it usually means that you're in fear because you think there's something in you that you're afraid of so it's being able to look at someone and say oh there's love behind that but i'm um you know i'm reacting to it there's something in me that's reacting what in me do i see in them that I'm, that I struggle with. And very often it's like, oh, they remind me of my dad or they remind me of my mom and, you know, or mm-hmm. they they, they turn, they, 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 it's something that I haven't dealt with yet that I'm still afraid of. But, you know, this is just what life is. Life changes, we get life challenges and it's being able to take, being able to be grateful for what you have and being able to, and just realize that, life is meant to have its ups and downs and our most challenging moments can have that's when our greatest growth can be and so what I've realized is when someone's struggling you can be there and you can be a support but you can't do it for them you have to let them go through it themselves Mm -hmm. because if you take it away from them you take away that chance for growth so an example of this is the butterfly the butterfly when it's breaking through its cocoon if you help it and, and help it break through the cocoon and take it away, it will die because it learns its strength and resilience through breaking through the cocoon. Well, that's kind of the same thing that we learn by dealing with our own, with dealing with our, our problems or our fears or, or you know, or, um, you mm-hmm. know, or taking responsibility that, you know, if you're struggling with something, is it's not being a victim. It's like, well, what do I do? And sometimes it's facing things that you don't want to face.
0: Do you think, because for so long, and I can remember when I was younger, there was just these little tiny stick thin models. That was, that was the thing. And now we're moving into all different body types modeling. Do you think that will make an impact on? It already has.
1: So there's a couple of things is media. There's programs where kids are taught to challenge what the media says, because if you look at the the photos of women in if they've been retouched even these perfect women don't look perfect um the fallacies that we're told about you have to be stick thin or that you're going to be happy when you're thin it's it's there's so much more to you so you you with a child you don't call them for their you know you can say they're beautiful but look at their legs look how strong they are look how they can get them there get them you know or they're they're beautiful but you know other people are beautiful in other ways and it's um, being able to see the beauty in people in complete package it's also being able to let kids find out who they are so it's encouraging them to explore things and it's going out and saying you know give it a try if you don't like it you can always come back home or you can Mm. you if you don't like it you don't have to continue. Mm -hmm. Let's find something till you do like it. But it's, it's getting kids exploring and finding who their true authentic self is. And why in schools, they're, they're told right and wrong. Um, They're not really taught how to question. And really, Good problem-solving skills is a, is a, is something that kids need need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, learning how to deal with situations that are difficult, mm-hmm. um, learning how to confront someone, or learning how to apologize are all really important things for kids to learn. We can't protect them against that, and it's allowing them to say, "Gee, that was a really tough lesson. What did you learn from it?" Okay now maybe you know you might do it differently or you might do it again but it's it's learn what did you learn from it it's not saying what did you do wrong or that it's right or it's what did you learn from it and what are you going to take with you
0: and how how could people um benefit and how can people reach you if if someone's listening today and either they or a loved one is struggling with this how could you help them So they can do a couple of things. They can go to my website,
1: heatherkilgore.com. They can go to ANAD, which is um, anad.org, which is a, um, they also provide support and it's free. Um, You can go to, um, you can go to your, go to to a trusted friend. You can, Google eating disorders, the symptoms of eating disorders. Um, It's starting a conversation and it's, it takes how often it takes someone when they, they know this isn't necessarily for eating disorders, but this is for mental illness because an eating disorder is a mental illness. It takes typically 11 years for someone to deal with once they they figure out something's something's not right that they're that they're there's something wrong with their thinking or they might be be, be a little different, it often takes them eleven years to get the help. Ninety-one percent of college women are um, have dieted. Nine um, percent of women have eating of the population have may have an eating disorder. of women over 50 have eating disorders or some type of eating disorder. Um, The numbers that kids, um, that young kids think they're fat or that go on a diet is just, is really daunting. So there needs to be a program for, you know, in school um, for teaching kids how to deal with their feelings and their emotions. Because One of the things about eating disorders is it's pushing down your emotions. You don't know how to deal with your emotions. And what I learned is I'm an empath. So I feel things very strongly. And what I would do when I was, I would rock in my room and say, I don't want to feel these feelings. There's something wrong with me. I want to be like my dad and be non-emotional. So I would try to push them down. That's the worst thing you can do is find safe places where you can talk. And say something's going wrong. I'm not sure what, what it is, but I think I need help. And there's there's ANAD. There's um, um, there's META, um, Meda M E D A. I'm just going to Google that really quickly. Um, which is in Massachusetts. Um, but they will help you find help you look at what you what you need. Um, you know, we'll say, yes, it's, it's meta. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. I have to find that. Um, but they can Google me, um, they can, they can email me at Heather at Heatherkilgore.com or they can go to my, my website, heatherkilgore.com And I will be able to have, help them in whatever way I can. Um, but the biggest thing is starting a conversation and reaching out. And, you know, if I'm not the right one, to, to deal with because I really believe if someone's in the midst of an eating disorder, they need to see a therapist first and a nutritionalist. And then a coach can come on top of that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's important to deal with, with the issues. I'm not trained to deal with the underlying issues, but I can help what, it, what, it, what a therapist is, is, deals with things in the past. And so if someone comes to me and they, they start trying to deal with the same thing and it's over and over again, they keep on walking in the same hole and they can't get off it. I will refer them to a therapist. With me, you're gonna, we're gonna look and hold you accountable. We're gonna set things, um, help you like tools, give you tools and help you be held accountable for things to move forward. And oftentimes when someone's in the midst of their eating disorder, they can't be held accountable. Oh yes, I can do that. And then they, they fall short and then they're afraid to face it. You know, with, it, with coaching is, is if you set up goals and you fall short, We look at, why did you fall short? You know, what was going on? Let's learn from it. So there's no right or wrong, but it's being able to be able to have some movement and be able to move forward. And oftentimes I'll work in conjunction with a therapist.
0: You are very inspirational for Mm -hmm. having to overcome this yourself and now helping other people. Is there anything you'd like to say? Any last words you'd like to say to people?
1: Um, Yeah, you know, there's a wonderful book people can read. It's called The Four Agreements. And what it talks about is, um, do your best. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. And I'm trying to figure out what the last one is. I can't remember. But those are really important lessons to learn when you're in, in life is don't assume that you know what someone's talking about. Ask questions. And what I learned in my family is, is you don't ask questions. The other thing is don't take anything personally. You don't know where someone's coming from. So ask them. And very often you'll find that what you're assuming or you're taking personally, they didn't mean it at all. And it once again starts a conversation. And always try to do your best. Um, Because when you, and one of the things that happens with an eating disorder is you're not doing your best. Every day you're falling short. So it it keeps on um, tugging at your self-esteem. So it's get the help, getting help starts you on the right road to recovery. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback. So ratings and reviews are appreciated.